Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of realeverything.com. I'm all about loving the skin you're in and being healthy inside and out. And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne of thepaleomom.com. I believe that scientific literacy is the key to improving public health. Welcome back to The Whole View, episode 415. I'm jazzed that we are revisiting a topic um, that has been laid with controversy for years. Mm -hmm. And I love revisiting and updating science on things. I have a story that I want to share about fish oil for both our listeners. And and Sarah has not heard the story yet. So I'm excited. I have not. Me too. So I recently had an appointment with one of my children who has ADD, ADHD, with a new pediatrician that they've been going to. And it's the same one who formally diagnosed this child for the purposes of getting educational support and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so he knows that we manage this with lifestyle and that, you know, the child is doing fine without medication. And that's a goal that we're trying to avoid. Um, And so I was talking to him about some of the challenges that I had (sighs) at home, which we will talk about later. Um, I know we have a future show mm-hmm. planned on that, but I was talking to the doctor about some of these challenges and, you know, seeking his advice on if there were um, alternate solutions to a stimulant. And one of the things that he said was I needed to increase the fish oil that this child was getting who is on fish oil, but he was like, no, no, you need to increase to such and such a dose beyond, you know, what is recommended because of um, how this uh, affects his brain and the fish oil will likely um, help him focus more. And I was like, look at this normal doctor being like thoughtful and, you know, using science in a like non-prescription medicine sort of way to deal with, deal with it. And I was like, look, we are making a difference because I tell you what, like a few years ago, I did not hear that. You know what I mean? So I thought that was cool. Um, and as, as I mentioned, this child is taking fish oil. Um, and so we are, upping it. And I'm excited because the fish oil that he takes is Rosita fish oil, who is also our sponsor today. So I love it. I love it when we can have brands that we genuinely use and love come on and we talk about why we love them and the science of it. And they hook our customers up. So, and we're going to talk science of fish oil, but, um, before we get into all of that, I want to thank Rosita Fish Oil um, for being this week's sponsor. And you can visit them at rositausa.com. That's R-O-S-I-T-A-U-S-A.com. And if you go to slash the whole view or use code the whole view, you can get 5% off, which is exciting for you listeners. Um, I'm excited about it too. I Rosita, discovering Rosita was what made me feel comfortable taking fish oil again. Um because as we're going to get into in this show, um, a poor quality fish oil can do more harm than good. And the quality is really, really important. And what I love, so it's actually a cod liver oil. It does not, it's a fresh cod liver oil. So it doesn't have all of the issues with fermented cod liver oil, which we've already addressed on the podcast. And we can point listeners to that um, previous episode. And it, um, it's so um, fresh. It's like, it's okay. So it is like the, the company is from Northern Norway. It's literally, it's a small family company. Um, they're fishermen that all of the cod that they use is wild caught, sustainably, uh, fished. It's completely raw, unprocessed. And they have this like patented technique that doesn't require any heat or any mechanical extraction so that it's not damaging the fats in any way. And it is so clean that they don't need to add flavoring to it. So I'm not sure that I've ever seen a like fish oil that's like the liquid that you put on a spoon that's not 
flavored, right? And like it is, it, I mean, it does have like a fishy taste, but it's like a clean fishy taste. It is not bad at all. Um, and for me, I would far rather that, you know, mild, super, you know, a really like a really mild, clean, fresh fish taste compared to um, like all of the different like fake citrus type flavors that are added. And they're added to cover up, as we're going to talk about, um, the flavor of oxidized fats, which is kind of a rancid flavor. And that is why there's so much um, different science in terms of whether or not there's benefits or potential problems with fish oil supplementation. So we're going to get into all of that. But what our listeners really need to know is that Rosita, it's extra virgin cod liver oil. It is top quality and it is the one that Stacy and I choose for ourselves and our families. And they do have both the oil as well as the soft gel capsules, which is what yes. um, Wesley takes because while Sarah tells you that fish oil is great to drink, not all of us have the same palate. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Adele and David also take the capsules because um, as they, they, they haven't tasted the liquid. So it's actually, they're scared of the liquid because they know what it is. And they, I was like, okay, pick your battles and they will take the capsules. So yes, to be fair, capsules, capsules work as well. Um, so other things to know about it, um, we're going to really talk, focus in on the, um, omega-3s because that is like the main thing that fish oil is taken for is for increasing omega-3s. Um, that would be the thing that's beneficial to uh, neurological health in the context of ADHD. It's also upping omega-3s has been shown to be beneficial in a huge variety of different chronic health conditions, including a lot of different sort of mental health challenges, cardiovascular disease, diabetes. Like it's a Omega-3s are really a, uh, an essential nutrient, and it's a big deal. Um, but because it's cod liver oil, it's also really high in vitamin A. It has a really good amount of vitamin D. Um, so there's other things in this that are also really beneficial. So I figured that was probably worth mentioning since we're not going to focus on that in this particular episode. When I think of cod, I always think of the rock. And I feel like if I didn't um, mention this... The rock, like... Dwayne the Rock Johnson or yes. the rock as in the movie? Wait, there's multiple cultural references here and I'm confused. Dwayne the Rock Johnson eats okay. what he says is over two pounds of codfish a day. Just, just cod? <laughs> just cod. He swears by it. Um, and so because I know my husband is producing this podcast and thinking about codfish, um, he would want me to just let all of you know. <laughs> That, I mean, you know, The Rock is canceling out all the uh, damage that comes from his muscles. Like, he swears by codfish. So he, like, eats, um, he says, on average, over two pounds a day of codfish. So there's that. Having nothing I mean, to do with, well, there is some science to that, which we'll get into. <laughs> I just, for, for levity. There you go. Um, if only we could put in an audio version of the eyebrow thing. I don't, there's no like audio sound that goes with the eyebrow thing, but that would be amazing right now. Uh, we do have a listener question. There's, there's definitely like a smoldering thing from, uh, <laughs> as oh, soon as from, I, oh, is that uh, a cultural reference? Jumanji? Is that a cultural reference you actually got? From Jumanji? Yes. yes. I'm so proud because of you. Because it's a kid's movie. I understand kid's movie cultural <laughs> references. It's just adult stuff I don't get. Okay. It has anything to do with any kind of serialized television series? No, it's over my head. Well, here, listen, I didn't even realize that I was offering such a bonus insight. If your kids are hesitant to take fish oil, just watch Jumanji and say mm -hmm. this guy loves cod too. There you go. <laughs> What, or what Moana. Does, oh, yeah, but I mean, yes, Cartoon but it's also not, not like physically him. You know what I mean? Whatever works, but, whatever but floats your boat, whatever your kids are into. Got it. Let's let's hear this listener question before I take us further off track. <laughs> this question is from Katie, and it's the perfect, perfect question for this podcast. 
Hi, ladies. Thank you for your wonderful podcast. I listen every week and love everything from the science to the soapboxes. I, I like Katie. I, I think she's pretty great. <laughs> My question has to do with fish oil. Specifically, I've heard mixed research on whether or not it's healthy for people to take as a supplement. It seems there is a lot of pe people that say that adding a fish oil supplement is really beneficial, but I recently attended a lecture where they were talking about how it can be damaging to the cells due to how it is extracted, and that we actually don't need as much of it as we thought. As with anything diet and nutrition related, there always seems to be many camps that people fall into, and I would love to hear your balanced approach on the science. If there's one thing we can count on, it's Sarah's approach to science, for sure. <laughs> um, there, I mean, she's not wrong. There is endless, mm -hmm. as I mentioned at the top of the show, um, information both for and against. And you've already kind of given some, some insight into how that works. But I'm looking forward to these many, many uh, pages of, of notes <laughs> <laughs> that I know you're going to <laughs> explain to us in a way that is less scary than some of these words that I'm reading. <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny too, because I do put, I do put all the technical words into our notes and then translate on the fly. Um, so, <laughs> so let's start with talking about um, what it is in fish oil that is the reason why it's so recommended. And it really has to do with these two different fatty acids. They are the long chain omega-3 fatty acids that you've probably seen abbreviated as EPA and DHA. Um, EPA is uh, 22 carbons long. It is, uh, its chemical name is eicosapentaenoic acid. Um, and DHA is 22 carbons long, slightly longer, um, and its chemical name is uh, docosahexaenoic acid. And I will not be saying their chemical names again because EPA and DHA is so much easier. Um, and these fatty acids are really important in the body. So there's, um, they're different from the, the other main omega-3 um, that is what we might get from like chia seeds or flax seeds. That omega-3 is abbreviated a ALA, it stands for alpha-linolenic acid, and it is shorter. And really, there are a few processes in our body that use ALA, but most of what our body needs is DHA and EPA. And so we have to convert, if we're getting our omega-3s from plant sources like chia and flax, we have to convert that ALA into these two longer chain uh, omega-3s, DHA and EPA, in order for them to actually do their function. That conversion is very inefficient. It's typically about 3%. And so really when we're counting our omega-3 intake, we really um, are, we probably only should be counting. I know I used the should word. I couldn't figure out a different way to, to make that sentence. The best way to count our omega-3s is by only looking at these long chain omega-3s. And the main food source that we're getting those from is uh, fish and shellfish. So it is the main fat that is in uh, things that grow in water. And um, and it's really, really important for our bodies because they're used for forming these um, fat-based sort of hormone-like molecules in our bodies that are called paracrine and autocrine signals. So a hormone is like a long-distance uh, signal. So it's produced by an endocrine gland, it's released into the blood, and then it binds with cells somewhere else in the body and somehow communicates, right? So it's telling these other cells what to do. Paracrine and autocrine signals are like that, except they're short distance. So they're either um, a signal within a cell or with a neighboring cell. So that is um, how they're different from hormones, but basically it's it's how, it's like a long distance phone call versus shouting down the stairs to a family member. But the message that you might give to that person on the other end would be the same. So there's three main classes of these paracrine and autocrine molecules that are actually formed from EPA and DHA um, as like, it's like the base structure. So what happens is in our cells, our, our cell membranes are made up of fats. There's all kinds of things embedded in the cell membranes, including EPA, DHA, and the omega-6 version of those fats um, called arachidonic acid, AA. Our cells store them in the cell membrane as just like, they just 
live there and then when needed, they're internalized. And then there's these chemical reactions that metabolize them into these autocrine and paracrine sort of hormone-like molecules. And depending on what the starting molecule is, it changes what the finished molecule is. So what type of signal you get at the end is completely related to what you start with. So do you start with the omega-6 arachidonic acid or do you start with one of the omega-3s, EPA and DHA? And that's really important because these signaling molecules uh, drive things like immune responses, um, platelet formation and aggregation. So that has a direct impact on clotting. Um, and so they're um, really important messenger molecules that are driving processes that impact the full body in terms of especially things like immune function and cardiovascular health because it's impacting the vasculature. So the three main classes are called prostaglandins, thromboxanes, and leukotrienes. And, um, and basically what happens, it's sort of the same for all three classes, is if you start with the omega-6 arachidonic acid, the final version um, that you get, so for example, for prostaglandins, if you start with arachidonic acid, then you go through, the, it gets internalized into the cell, the cell metabolizes it and turns it into prostaglandin E2. Um, and this is a really potent um, signaling molecule mediating pain and inflammation. It's actually been linked to rheumatoid arthritis. Um, but if you have EPA and DHA, you don't get prostaglandin E2. You get a different molecule at the end called prostacyclin I3. And this is a really important anti-inflammatory and um, anti-thrombotic, which means sort of like anti-abnormal blood clotting. Um, and it promotes healthy blood vessels. So like just having the different starting molecule completely changes the signal that is formed. And these signals are happening all the time. Um, if you have any reason to have inflammation, right, you uh, cut yourself, you're exposed to a, a virus or a bacteria, um, you consume something that you have a sensitivity to, even though you don't know it, right? Uh, you're stressed, <laughs> you didn't get enough sleep, right? Anything that would stimulate inflammation, uh, all of the cells in our body are going to make all of these different signaling molecules. So what we want is to have the balance between the omega-6s and the omega-3s in the cell membrane so that the cells can self-regulate what type of signal they're producing. So they have the ability to produce these more anti-inflammatory, anti-thrombotic um, signals compared to the very you know, inflammatory versions of these or uh, the ones that are um, literally driving blood clotting or constricting blood vessels, um, you know, the, the negative impact of mostly having the omega-6 in our cell membranes, the arachidonic acid, in order to form these molecules is that our cells can only make the inflammatory signals and can't make the moderating signals. And that can help as soon as inflammation is triggered, then that helps drive inflammation even higher. So we can have these magnified inflammatory responses that are basically the hallmark of every chronic illness, right? So we see inflammation as a part of the development of diabetes. It's driving obesity, cardiovascular disease, um, kidney disease, uh, autoimmune disease, um, immune diseases like asthma, like all of these things have inflammation as part of the development of the disease, if not the development, like if not the only thing that's causing that disease. I mean, a lot of these are multifactorial, but inflammation is a really key part. And if you can take that inflammation piece out of it, then you can dramatically reduce the risk of developing these chronic illnesses. So what we want in our cell membranes is to have roughly a balance of arachidonic acid and EPA and DHA so that we can have both the inflammatory signals, because we do need to be able to turn on our immune systems, like we do want that from time to time, and the anti-inflammatory signals so that our immune system can be regulated. And this is why um, omega-3s are so fundamentally linked with chronic illness, when we're not consuming enough just that means that we have a overactive immune system 
um, because it's not able to regulate itself as well in this short form communication, which is so important in the body. Omega-3s are also really important for the microbiome. So there's this whole separate mechanism of how omega-3s are impacting our health. Um, what's really interesting about the gut microbiome, um, and this was something that I really didn't have a sense of until, until I started digging into the research to write my um, new gut health book, is that it's much more complicated than just how much fiber we're consuming. Um, our gut bacteria also have essential fats. <laughs> so they need, you know, their, the cell, their cell membranes are also made of fats. So they need those fats in order to make their cell membranes. They have signaling that's very analogous to our autocrine and paracrine signaling where the type of fat that they're exposed to changes their metabolism. Um, they also, right, they're also sensitive to the types of proteins we're consuming. Like they're, they're, it's far more complex than just eat more fiber, uh, which I think is what um, what eating for the gut microbiome is often oversimplified as. Is just oh well, eat more fiber and then your gut bacteria will be happy, and it really is not that simple. Um, and one of the things that's really important for supporting a healthy community of gut bacteria is omega three fats. So omega threes are actually the most gut friendly fat that we could eat. Um, and they're particularly sensitive to these long chain DHA and EPA. So there's a variety of studies that have shown with typically with supplementation of fish oil, although some have done them with whole fish, but typically with supplementation of fish oil, that it does things like improve gut barrier health. So it reduces leaky gut, reduces gut inflammation, reduces the production of endotoxin, which is a very toxic inflammatory protein in the cell membrane of some types of bacteria in our gut. Um, it actually helps to drive the growth of really important probiotic bacteria like lactobacillus and bifidobacterium that we talk about often. And there have been studies in humans where all they have done, the only intervention is a fish oil supplementation. And they have shown that that can correct gut dysbiosis in a very short period of time. So those studies range um, sort of anywhere between about two to six weeks is enough to see this reversus of dysbiosis, especially in the context of things like irritable bowel disease um, and reduction of inflammation in the gut as a result. Um, and then they show a healthier gut microbiome composition, including higher diversity, which is one of the most important hallmarks of a healthy gut microbial community because species diversity is a hallmark of like any healthy ecosystem. So um, these are really compelling studies and I wouldn't ever, you know, in eating for gut health, I wouldn't ever simplify it to, oh, we'll just take a fish oil supplement and then that's going to be it. There's obviously a lot more to it. We want to be eating the quality protein. We want to be eating a high diversity of vegetables and fruits as well. Um, we want to be thinking of mushrooms as their own food group. We want to be eating phytochemical rich foods, right? There's, there's a lot more things we can do than just a fish oil supplementation for our gut microbiome. But this is probably like a secondary layer of mechanisms uh, on tops of why like omega-3s, especially the long chain DHA and EPA are so important for our overall health and are so linked to chronic disease risk. It's probably through this direct impact on how the body is signaling inflammation as well as vascular health, um, along with changing the gut microbiome composition because a sort of dysbiotic gut is linked with every chronic illness that we've looked for it. This is super interesting because I always hear about the argument for higher omega-3s being inflammation-driven, um, and it's logical to me that it's more than just that, right? That it is also in the gut, which also has so much impact, as we've talked about, to other parts of the body. So it is, um, I don't know that I would say eye-opening, but it is, it is fascinating to think about how that expands beyond just the basic talk track that we've heard for so long. Yeah, exactly. I And I think um, when you can look at the layers of benefit, it's 
a really good way of emphasizing the importance of this nutrient. Um, and what's really, okay, aside, I take issue with how nutrients are labeled as essential or non-essential. I do not think the criteria is quite right. So typically um, with like vitamins and minerals, it's like if you die without it, then we'll call it essential. <laughs> Um, it's the same way with like how the recommended daily values are established. It's like, uh, the minimum amount so that 97.5% of the population does not show signs of deficiency like scurvy, right? So it's, or rickets, right? Or beriberi. Like there's, I mean, that to me is like, that's different than saying how much do I need to be healthy? And I understand that that's a much harder thing to determine because then we need to figure out how we actually measure health, which we don't have a really good measurement of. We can measure risk factors. We can measure sickness. We can't really measure health. So I understand that it's complicated. Um, but I think that um, die without it is a a too simplistic way of looking at um, the importance of, of a nutrient. And when it comes to essential fatty acids, um, the way that whether or not it's essential or non-essential, the ones that get to be essential are the simplest ones that our body can use to convert. So what's really interesting is um, the difference between omega-3s and omega-6s is, is the location of the first double bond in their carbon string. So a omega-3 has that first double bond at the third carbon, and an omega-6 has the first double bond at the sixth carbon. Um, and so that changes everywhere there's a double bond, there's like a kink in the, in the structure. Instead of being a straight line like a saturated fat, which has no double bonds, um, as soon as you put in a double bond, it puts in a little a fun little you know, change, right? So it, it, it puts a bend there. Um, so you get these like cool little, you can get circles and like cool little shapes by putting in double bonds. So the, what's really interesting is that our biochemistry cannot change the location of a double bond. We can do all kinds of other cool things to fats, um, including taking a shorter chain fat and making it a longer chain one. We can't change the location of that double bond. So we cannot convert an omega-3 to an omega-6 or vice versa, but we can convert one omega-6 to another omega-6 or one omega-3 to another omega-3. So what uh, nutritional scientists have done has basically said, okay, we're going to make the shortest omega-3, uh, which is ALA. Uh, we're going to make that one the essential one. We're going to make the shortest um, omega-6, which is uh, linolenic acid, we're going to make that one the um, we're going to make that one the essential fatty acid, but that doesn't look at how our bodies actually use them. So as I mentioned, the conversion from ALA to DHA and EPA is really inefficient, and it's DHA and EPA that have the dominant biological roles in our bodies. So really, those are the ones that are essential to consume, but we've somehow made the simpler omega three that we're getting from flax seed or, or chia or, you know, other plant foods, we've somehow labeled that one as the essential. So again, I really don't think the way that we label nutrients as essential or non-essential is quite the right criteria. Like it's just, it's, it's just a little bit, it's a little bit off. And this is a really good example where we've labeled the thing that our body can't use very well as the essential one. And the ones that, um, that we really need, we've managed to label as non-essential. Anyways. Um, I'm shocked that <laughs> systems might be a little off. I mean, <laughs> after having looked at the food pyramid, I'm just mm -hmm. shocked. <laughs> Side point. Um, yeah, true. Um, so uh, what's really interesting is that we have this huge collection of uh, epidemiological studies that are linking higher either uh, dietary omega-3s. So that can be, it's typically, they're looking at DHA and EPA. So they're looking at uh, seafood consumption and or fish oil supplementation. Fish oil is actually one of the common, most common supplements that are actually taken in Western countries. Um, and um, they can either sort of look at dietary amounts or they can actually measure the amount of omega-3s in our bodies. It's a simple blood test. It's called the omega-3 index. And what they do is they're actually looking at how much omega-3s there are in red blood cell membranes as a percentage of total fats, which is a really great way of looking at 
um, whether or not we have enough in our cell membranes for all of those anti-inflammatory signals. And studies that have looked at human health in relation to omega-3s, whether they're looking at dietary or the actual amount in our blood cell membranes, have shown you know, over and over and over again that the higher the omega-3s, the lower the risk of chronic illness. Um, the strongest signals are with things like diabetes and cardiovascular disease. We can even with cardiovascular disease, we can see that there's a benefit to every single risk factor for cardiovascular disease. So we can see that more omega-3s, the long chain ones, um, improves our lipid profile, our, our blood cholesterol, improves our blood pressure, improves our heart rate, our heart rate variability, improves um, how platelets, um, which are our main little clotting cells, how they're working. Um, it improves the function of the cells that form all of our blood vessels, they're called endothelial cells, and it impacts um, the, so the types of little cl um, clots that sort of form in our blood vessels that can break off and cause a stroke or a heart attack, those are called atherosclerotic plaques. Um, and those, like how stable those are related to omega-3s as well. Um, we've seen that if you do have a heart attack, um, that high fish oil consumption afterwards reduces um, death post, you know, and that's typically measured in the first one to five years after a heart attack. Um, so we can see, right, so that we have this huge collection of studies showing that higher omega-3s has all of these outcomes. So where does the controversy come from? We're going to come back to that in a second. Um, I was I think, like, I don't know where it comes you know, from. <laughs> I know, I know. Where does it come from? Um, pause. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna like cliffhanger it right there, because I think that given this huge amount of science showing benefit, the let's look at, you know, are people listening? Uh, the answer will not surprise you, Stacy. Do you think people are listening to the importance of omega threes? I am gonna guess based on said pyramid <laughs> the answer is no maybe maybe you could just explain that joke for people i i'm making an assumption um that people listen to our podcast like from probably seven years ago i think we did like a my plate food pyramid type show but mm -hmm. um maybe you could just incorporate I mean, that omega-6 reference just a little bit but my, yeah. my guess is no how about that shocker um i mean basically usda dietary guidelines have not actually incorporated uh a focus on nutrition since 1956 um so 1956 was when the basic four uh was announced um and they divided foods based on how they were grown, right? So it was fruits and vegetables, um, dairy, grains, and then meat and seafood was basically how those things were were divided. And um, and they basically around the same time was when uh, recommended daily intakes were being established for vitamins and minerals. And so it was the assumption that you didn't need to incorporate any kind of nutrient target into your dietary recommendations because people would do look at both. Um, surprise, that didn't ever happen. And um, and so as right as that got revamped into the food guide pyramid in '92, which then became uh, my pyramid, which then became my plate. And my plate, I think, was 2005. Um, what's changed is the visual representation of the guidelines and the exact number of servings recommended per food group. Um, with, uh, with the food guide pyramid, they did separate vegetables and fruit into two separate groups and kind of put like sweets and, uh, trans fats in, in this like other group that's like, oh, and then there's this other stuff that's not, that's, that's the special treat stuff. Um, but what's happened is there was, um, actually I highly recommend reading, uh, death by food pyramid by Denise Minger. It's a fascinating read, and it goes through the whole history of the scientific committee that was formed to go through all of the nutritional science uh, information and come up with 
a pyramid type um, dietary recommendation, they actually had vegetables on the bottom and it became, it was like once the politicians got their hands on it, that's when grains got put on the bottom. And so it's, it's a really fascinating story of, of how um, the, the dietary recommendations became lobbyist driven as opposed to science driven and that that has basically colored all USDA dietary guidelines since. And we're now at a point where, because no one has ever been able to stay thin by following those guidelines or healthy for that matter, because they're not nutrient focused. They're, there's no way to ensure adequate nutrition. You are not being a nutrivore when you follow those uh, dietary guidelines. Um, what's happened is it's opened up this this huge apathy for dietary guidelines in general. Uh, most people are more likely to follow a fad diet that they find on the internet than the USDA dietary guidelines. And right now, depending on the exact you know age group, less than 10% of people choose their foods based on those guidelines. So um, that also means that like less than like nobody's listening anymore is really is really the the um, the final conclusion of decades of um, failed um, and misguided dietary guidelines, right? Like they just they were not it wasn't the right approach to if the whole point is to ensure um, that people are eating a nutritious diet. It was it's been done wrong since the 1950s. Um, prior to that, there was a good attempt, but nutritional sciences was so young that we didn't actually know enough to be able to, to really form a comprehensive set of guidelines that could actually work. So, um, we're at a point now. Interrupt you for a minute to refer back. We do have a show on, um, Denise Minger's book. I can't recall if she was on, I think she was on the show when we came on. She's like one of my favorite people. Um, <laughs> mine as well, for money reasons. Uh, but we'll go ahead and put a link in the show notes um, if you want to check that out. But be- before you like completely moved on, I wanted to just, if people are interested in learning more on that, um, we do have a podcast on it as well. Um, so no surprise that um, even though the American Heart Association has targets for omega-3s, Um, It is not something that most people are even paying even any attention to. So the adequate intake, again, this is sort of different than it's sort of an adequate intake is considered a a bare minimum. um, And it's different than saying how much do you need to be healthy Uh, for women. uh, Adult women is 1.1 grams of long chain omega-3s daily. And for adult men, it's 1.6 grams. Studies have shown that on average, um, American adults are consuming 0.4 grams per day from foods and 0.7 grams per day from supplements. That same study basically concluded that uh, even even though people are taking are getting more omega threes than they used to, um, and it's predominantly driven by the fish oil supplement industry, um, that most American adults are not meeting the recommendations. But it is still more telling to look at the omega-3 index and look at how much omega-3s are actually in our cell membranes. And that's in part because ideal intake of omega-3s is relative to omega-6s. So it's really relative to the whole diet. So that's going to vary depending on uh, sources of omega-6s as well as total fat. Um, and so what we want is we want more omega-3s in our cell membranes. So studies that have looked at uh, the omega-3 index of like cultures globally and, and sort of compare um, different areas of the world in terms of how we're doing basically show that in uh, America, our omega-3 index is about four, which means that the amount of DHA and EPA in our cell membranes is about 4% of total fatty acids. Um, That's of all fats, which is how that particular measurement is made. Um, In areas in the world where they're consuming a lot more fish, um, that ranges typically between 8 to 15%. um, And that somewhere in that range is healthier. I know this is a measurement that my functional medicine doctor um, adds to all of my blood work 
my omega-3 in, index has been in my blood work every six months since I started working with him. Um, and even though it's always been really good, he wants it to be at least 10, 10 to 12% is sort of his, his goal. Um, so when we look at, uh, the amount of, uh, let's look at um, omega-3 insufficiency from that lens, we're talking about a, a prevalence of, even with fish oil supplementation being really common, still about 70-ish percent of people not getting enough omega-3s of these long chain, EPA and DHA. Um, different studies obviously are measuring deficiency prevalence in different ways. So that varies, but that's that's the ballpark of, of roughly where we are. And there are some racial disparities in terms of um, likelihood of a lower omega-3 index. In America, um, people from Asian descent tend to have the highest omega-3 index, so the, the most omega-3s in the red blood cells, so closing in on 5%, uh, whereas um, people of Hispanic um, cultural descent tend to have the lowest. Um, so they tend to have, uh, their average is about 3.6%, so even lower than than the four that is our total average. Um, this is uh, an area where um, black Americans do a little bit better than white Americans. So black Americans are in about 4.5%, whereas white Americans are about 3.8%. Um, and what's really interesting uh, and I think is, is important to emphasize is that studies that have looked at racial disparities in the omega-3 index have shown that ethnicity does not change how the omega-3s relate to markers of inflammation. So um, the how much inflammation there is um, is directly related to how much omega-3s there are. There's no additional layering of com complexity with ethnicity. So it really is as simple as consume more omega-3s, lower inflammation. Can I ask a question that might be super simple or super complex? I'm, it's going to go one way or the other. There's no middle <laughs> okay. of the road. Sure. Do we see that additional stress, which we know can cause um, that oxidative burden on the system, we've seen it in my gut microbiome and different kinds of things that we've already talked about, do we see that that is also a contributing factor to needing more omega-3s um, in the way that, for example, when we talked about magnesium, I think it was magnesium. Um, we talked about how when you're stressed, it's actually important to take more because of um, how it, your body is burning through it more quickly. Do you know if that's a factor? Yes. Yeah. See, I told you it'd be simple or super <laughs> complex. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yes. You're, you're spot on. Um, and what's really interesting is that it's a two-way street. So higher stress increases our need for omega-3s. Higher omega-3s actually modulates the stress response. Voila. I am impressed that you had that information right off the bat, but also um, not surprised. And I think that <laughs> I think I mean, I just think in general, when we know that we're stressed I, and let me just clarify, like the entire global world is stressed right now. Uh -huh, um, yeah. This is an important thing that we can really take control of like sleep, like magnesium. A lot of the things that we've talked about lately, we've been intentionally sharing with our listeners because, you know, we we want to help them live optimally during this um, unprecedented and super stressful time. Like to me, this is such um, an easy addition to whatever your routine already is that could help. And I, I love that um, it has that dual effect of being able to help you modulate your own stress because th yeah. that's something I need help with for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I think we all do. Um, so let's talk about quality because um, I remember listening to, um, it was the first interview I ever heard with Chris Crasser and it was on the Paleo Solution podcast. This was probably like 2012. And, um, and now the, the landscape in terms of the science was very different back then. So, uh, Chris was absolutely spot on back then. There was this growing number of studies that were showing conflicting information in terms of fish oil supplementation, especially long-term. So what studies were starting to show, and this, there was a handful of them in the nineties, but really in sort of like the late 20 knots, early 2010s is where there really started to become, uh, more of these studies 
showing that over the short term, say four to six weeks, although you know this varied study to study, you could see if you gave somebody fish oil supplementation that their cardiovascular disease risk factors would decrease, right? Triglycerides would go way down, all of these different benefits. And then once you hit the six to eight weeks, some, some studies show 12-week mark, you would start to see this increase in something called lipid peroxidation. So this is the oxidative degradation of fat molecules in the body. And uh, that is associated with a whole pile of different disease processes, but very uh, relevant in these studies. It's associated with atherosclerosis, which is what is... The, the bad thing in cardiovascular disease that eventually causes strokes and heart attacks and pulmonary embolisms and deep vein thrombosis, et cetera. And so um, what they were showing was that over time, you would get this, there would sort of be this initial benefit. And over time, even though triglycerides would stay low, you would start to see the, this increase in um, markers of lipid peroxidation, which is a sort of a, a, another problem. And then there were animal studies where they would give a fish oil enriched diet compared to like corn or safflower oil over a year or two years. I mean, and the average lifespan of a mouse is two years. So if you do a, a two-year study in a mouse, you're basically doing a full lifespan study showing that, uh, for example, the fish oil mice uh, lived a shorter period of time, right? Like there were all of these other things that were going on. And um, at the time, um, Chris brought up the issue of oxidation. And that is exactly where scientists have landed in the last few years as the simplest explanation for this effect. And it's basically that the the all of these double bonds in these long, uh, long chain polyunsaturated fats are points where the fat can be easily oxidized. So the most stable fats in um, in an oxygen-rich environment are saturated fats. As soon as you add that double bond, right, monounsaturated fats have one double bond between carbon atoms, um, and polyunsaturated fats have two or more. So as soon as you add these double bonds, you're adding another spot where oxygen can react with the molecule. And when oxygen does react with a fat, it creates all of these, um, you know, oxidized fat molecules that are problematic. They're inflammatory. They um, are associated with, uh, certainly in animal studies, with all kinds of problems. Um, in fact, in animal studies, they're associated with, uh, like, organ damage, right? Like, it's, um, it's, uh, it's really problematic. Uh, so there, it's um, not just cardiovascular disease, but uh, potentially um, increased cancer, tumor formation, um, and as well as driving inflammation. So there's there's a huge amount of scientific literature, at least in animal studies, showing that consuming oxidized fats or having some kind of biological processes happening in the body where fats are being oxidized, which is something that happens in high inflammation states, is bad. And, um, and so what we found is studies over the last few years have started looking at how much of these, you know, this, these fish oils that are just on, uh, you know, store shelves are oxidized and there's, there's levels that are considered acceptable. Um, and there's obviously it's a much lower level that's considered acceptable in the European union compared to USA. No one's going to be surprised about that. Right. Um, but studies that have looked at what's the quality of this fish oils have shown, um, that it's very problematic. So over the counter fish oil supplements, depending on the study that have looked at, um, excess oxidation show that anywhere between 11 and 80% of the products are oxidized. And actually there's a study done in American fish oil products that showed that 27% had more than double the level of damaged oxidized fats than what was considered an acceptable limit. What did you say uh, that percent was 80 to something? So of exceeding limit up to 80% of fats, of fish oils, exceed the limit, acceptable limit of oxidation. In the USA, a little over a quarter not only exceed the limit, but are double the limit. I literally was rubbing my face. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is the only acceptable I, reaction. 
I have a hard time with information like that when I feel like people are being deceived. Like, mm-hmm. and you know, then my questions go to, do these companies know that their oils are oxidized? Are they doing any sort of testing? Like, how are they ensuring that when someone spends money to reduce the oxidation that their body has, that they're not being duped into oxidizing themselves more? Like, I, I, and I, I laugh because it's just so uncomfortable, not because I'm trying to be flippant, but I'm just, I'm shocked. And I think, like, while we have talked about, um, different sort of, um, brand suggestions on the show, like, this is why we're really particular in vetting brands and, you know, whether it's olive oil or whether it's, um, probiotics, like, there's, this is rampant in mm-hmm. our entire I don't want to just say country because I do think like you said no it's 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 a, a global, global. Issue, it's a global, global issue like it's just so important that we learn to research this information and um, advocate for ourselves and if a brand doesn't disclose all of this information for you to figure it out on your own um, I mean we long, long ago, like there was a brand that Sarah and I both used that we no longer do because when a third party did testing, we found out that it was one of these statistics that it was, you know, oxidation and it was cut with not even fish oil. So that's another thing that like, we're not even, you know, throwing that into the bucket, but it's certainly a factor. And so, Mm -hmm. um, I'm grateful for you, Sarah, for doing the research and finding the good brands and making it easier for me to kind of like have a no brainer moment. Um, Because I just, you know, I think about the people in my life who take fish oil. So, for example, my grandparents both, you know, just got their fish oil off the shelf and at box stores. And I know that that wasn't doing for them what they thought it was or, you know what I mean? And so um, it's it's hard for me to think about all the people who um, don't have this information because it's just it's not regulated the way that it needs to be. And there's no accountability for these brands and Blah, 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 blah. Okay, I'll stop yeah, now. I mean, agreed. And, and thank you for bringing up regulation because that is, so I am not a conspiracy theorist. I do not think that these companies are intentionally making a oxidized fish oil to sell to people to make, I mean, there might be a few bad actors, but overall, I don't think it's, I think it's more of a lack of awareness in the industry of this being an issue. Cause actually, so, um, because of the chemical structure of these fats, DHA and EPA, they're very easily oxidized. They're very, very prone to it. And so they need to be extracted under sort of ideal conditions to avoid oxidation in the extraction. And then they need to be stored, um, bottled and stored properly. And it is the layering of all of those things that is, um, you know, like it's it might leave the factory fine and then sit on the grocery store shelf for too long, right? So there's a lot of, or you might um, keep it, you know, if it's exposed to, well, let's actually, let's talk about the things that would um, drive oxidation of, of fish oil. So uh, to higher temperatures, uh, exposure to oxygen. So as soon as the bottle is opened, assuming that it was sealed under uh, like carbon dioxide is pretty, pretty normal or nitrogen. Uh, so light temperature, um, oxygen, the presence of water and the presence of heavy metals. So that could come from, um, you know, fish from more polluted waters. It's not necessarily something that's measured. And what is fascinating is that it's like this snowball effect. So once there's a little bit of oxidation, um, that drives more and more and more oxidation. And that's actually one of the things that might be happening in our bodies when we consume fish oil is that we're consuming, uh, or cheap, inexpensive fish oil, I should, I should specify, um, is that if we're consuming those oxidized fats, that that actually is making it easier for fats that are already in our body to oxidize and get damaged as well. So um, it's really important that the fish oil is extracted under conditions that are not going to damage those fats, stored under conditions that are not going to damage those fats. Um, And then we're talking about a product in which we can benefit from all of the wonderful things that those omega-3s can do in our bodies and not worry about the snowball of bad. So um, I think it's, 
it's sort of important to understand that some of the damage can happen after it leaves the factory. So after it's been tested, um, I can say that I, even with Rosita as being like the top quality fish oil, I store all of my bottles in the fridge so that they're not, I mean, they're only exposed to light when the fridge door opens. Um, and they're, they're stored in a cold temperature, even when they're sealed. And it's in order to prevent, um, any oxidation that can be introduced by me not storing it properly. So I think that's a really important thing to emphasize here as well. Would you suggest that for the soft gels as well, or just for the liquid oil? So, um, the soft gels should be reducing the amount of, um, amount of oxygen that can get into the oil. Um, generally, uh, capsules are more, um, stable. And one of the things that Rosita does that's really good is they add a tiny bit of rosemary oil to their, um, cod liver oil. And there's studies showing that that has a really important, um, antioxidant protective effect. Um, a little bit of vitamin E can help as well, but studies have shown that most, the amount of vitamin E added to most fish oil supplements is not enough to actually protect the, the fish oil from oxidation. Um, so that should be, uh, protective. Um, so, you know, uh, at least I would say the, uh, in theory, the capsules would not need to be st stored in the fridge because the capsule and the rosemary oil together are sort of pre preventing oxidation of those fats. I'm always thrilled to hear that I'm not doing something wrong. So <laughs> I have I have the fish oil in Wesley's bathroom. So he takes it, um, you know, when he is getting ready or whatever. That's where the boys' supplements are. Um, and um, then the I capsules that David and Adele take are on the kitchen counter. Yes. And then I have the oil for myself in the fridge. So yes, exactly. I'm doing a round of applause for myself right now. <laughs> um, I, um, I super snarkily started clapping in a circle, you know, the round of applause yes. that a six-year-old would do. Yes. I don't know where that came from, but I, like, since it's a audio medium, I, I felt like it was really important to literally say really that my hands went sarcastic without me thinking about it. Excellent. I'm so glad we're on the same <laughs> wavelength there. So um, all this to say, if you are taking a fish oil that does not fall into where you would like it to be with the information that Sarah has shared or, um, you know, is not of the quality or hasn't been stored this way or whatever it is, please understand that we are not here to shame you or make you feel bad or have guilt or oh, I should have done this instead. Like, there's nothing that um, that feeling is going to do for you. We are here to help you be educated and make more informed decisions going forward. And the good news is, correct me if I'm wrong, Sarah, but based on that uh, Chris Cresser podcast from years and years ago, um, the good news is that switching to a higher quality um, can have profound effects going forward. It's, it's not Agreed. like... Yep you know, you've done permanent damage or, well, I won't speak to that. I'm not a medical professional, but I will say that, you know, this is one of those things that you can change and see improvement on going forward. So there's no reason to like feel badly about whatever it is you may or may not have been doing in the past. And if you decide that you want to um, start taking higher quality fish oil going forward, like just feel good about that decision and leave everything in the past behind. That's what uh, I did. Agree. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, and that was, I, so I took fish oil for a long time and, um, you know, stopped over those oxidation fears. And then periodically when, um, I've had high stress, I've taken a fish oil for a short period of time and always tried to be like, okay, this is a four week intervention because the studies generally show in that initial period of time, even if you're taking a low quality fish oil, the benefit outweighs the risk and it's over the long term where the oxidized fat damage starts to, to build up. Um, obviously it would still be better to take a really high quality one right from the get go. Um, but if you've been taking one for, you know, there's, there's still some benefit over at least the short period of time. And then Stacy, like, as you said, switching is going to be very beneficial because it's pretty easy for the body to swap out, um, the fats inside our cell membrane. So just, adding that omega-3, that high quality omega-3 will translate to 
non-oxidized omega-3s in our cell membranes for all of the different things that that does. Um, but it was the discovery of Rosita that made me go, okay, like now I feel confident taking this on a daily basis for a, a long period of time. And I consume a lot of seafood. I think that was one of the things for me, as even researching for this podcast that was really eye-opening, was um, I consume a serving of seafood most days. And when I actually looked at how that was adding like the omega-3 to omega-6 ratio of my diet, um, I still was not in the sort of one to one to one to two range, which was ideal. And, um, and I went, okay, like I actually really need to, to work on upping my, either upping my seafood consumption or upping my omega-3 <laughs> supplementation. And it's, I mean, I just found it's much more straightforward to take a spoonful of Rosita extra virgin cod liver oil daily, um, rather than cooking fish twice a day. Well, and I find that we have periods of time where we do better with seafood than others um, because maybe it's just me, but it's when I'm doing my grocery shopping or getting my butcher box or whatever it is, like there's just a prevalence of non-seafood that's coming in and I have to proactively seek out adding fish or buying yeah. fish or, or whatever. And so we do a lot of tuna because that's easy for us. I can buy like high quality canned tuna or canned salmon. Um, and we do, we love, you know, like tuna salads and, and those kinds of things for lunch, but we don't do as much salmon as like we would like to eat or we would, you know, include unless I'm like thinking about it. And then what I usually do is I buy it in bulk and we go through it. And then when it runs out, it like leaves my mind and it's a few weeks before I'm like, Oh, uh -huh, you know, yep. we've only had whatever. So, um, it sounds like I'm not alone in this process. No, no, I am speaking for all of our listeners right now yeah. in, uh, yes. And I mean, for, for us, it's like, especially true now Yes, um, exactly. with, yeah. with shopping on, uh, a longer, right. So instead of pre COVID, I would go to like four different grocery stores and the farmer's market every week and they would be on different days. So I was like constantly doing these little small shoppings and I've changed to doing one big shopping every week and a half to two weeks. Like I'm trying to get as, as much time as I can. Um, and it's, it means that the amount of planning ahead is very different. And also because of the disruption of supply chains, sometimes there just isn't my favorite canned salmon in the store and then I don't get it. And then it's like two more weeks before I try again. So, um, I think that that experience of, uh, cyclical fish consumption is very common. Can I share with you what my favorite way to consume seafood is right now because of all of this? Um, I've been buying anchovies and high quality olive oil from, um, either Whole Foods or Thrive, or I've found the, I think it's called Crown Prince brand. Um, mm -hmm. and I've been putting it on Caesar salads because that's just like romaine. And then I can make my own Caesar dressing with anchovy paste and like homemade mayonnaise and just garlic. And, um, that has been one of my like go-to lunches in quarantine because those canned jars of anchovies are something I can store like tuna or canned salmon. You know what I mean? In bulk. Yep. And um, so if you're looking to add more ways of seafood to your life, let me just tell you that anchovies, um, maybe I'm, maybe this is like my lamb kidney. Maybe you don't like anchovies, but I, um, I, I feel like, I like recipes where there's like one anchovy that's like blended into a sauce because then it's just like some salty umami, but like the full anchovies on the salad, I am having a Stacy found live bugs in her lettuce reaction to that thought. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, here you go. This is the, this is the first one <laughs> that I'm like literally pile it on because when we go out to eat I ask for extra anchovies like what? on the salad oh I just how love are it we so much friends I don't understand how you feel right now is how I feel so often when you talk about these things 
<laughs> a little role reversal is good for us, I'm yes. sure. Um, yeah, it's really. And I, honestly, yeah. I'm like pleased with myself that for once I'm the one eating <laughs> the like weird stuff that's good for you. <laughs> um, yes. Um, to each his own. I will eat lamb kidneys over sardines on a salad any day. Anchovies, not sardines. I can't do sardines. Oh, sorry. Anchovies. Yes. yes. All right. What have we missed? Nothing. I feel like you might have dropped the mic on this so hard. I, I think I think the only thing we've missed is uh, to remind our listeners that they can shop at rositausa.com slash the whole view. So that's R-O-S-I-T-A-U-S-A dot com slash the whole view and use the coupon code the whole view to get 5% off their order. And we love hearing from you. So don't forget that if you liked this podcast, um, commenting and sharing about it in social media is just a wonderful gift for us um, and for you to spread the word. And if you haven't recently left a review, we would love for you to do that. Um, And if you didn't yet, go check out Patreon. We are officially up and running. There Mm -hmm. is... Uh, behind the scenes, you can't get it anywhere. Adult content. <laughs> that sounds no, not adult. It's content. not adult content. <laughs> it is uh, not rated G content. There you go. Yeah. Um, available for you, and we will be putting um, something special up for you if you do join our Patreon. So thank you for those of you who have done that. Your support is amazing, and we love that we get to like share this little intimacy with you beyond just what we regularly do on the show so um if you want more of us make sure to go check that out um i have recently heard from some people who are like going back and listening to all the podcasts i guess because of our like rebranding they've discovered the show and are going back and listening and people always dm me on um Instagram they're like you don't need to say sorry but I'm really enjoying going back and listening to the show and I'm like I love that you guys know that (laughs) I'm like you really are listening to the show if you know that I'm going to apologize when you tell me you're doing that um so for the for those people who can't get enough I'm not sure why (laughs) but um it is there for you awesome well Thank you so much, Sarah, for all the science. We will, of course, be back again next week. And if you have more topics that you'd like us to discuss, as you can see from the show, we do take and love hearing your listener questions. Um, So thanks for being a part of this awesome community. Thanks for listening. Thank you for being part of this awesome community. We know that we would be besties if only you could chime in super besties the best way to stay in touch with us is to engage on our social media subscribe to our newsletters and share this podcast with others thank you for sharing we love your reviews in itunes stitcher or however you listen welcome back to the whole f- <laughs> the whole fish it's <laughs> not gonna work <laughs> let me try that again <laughs> got fish on the brain all right <laughs> I mean, you really should be eating the whole fish, so I think actually you were spot on. Okay. I'm thank you for the support. <laughs> <laughs>